Thank you for tuning in to Talking Bay 94, the Star Wars podcast devoted to interviews with the cast, crew, and creators of a galaxy far, far away. I'm your host, Brandon Winerdy, and today I'm talking to the writer of Rogue One, Gary Weta, who is returning to the show to talk all about his latest Star Wars story, Rogue Two. Stay tuned for an in-depth dive into his piece in the just published From a Certain Point of View, The Empire Strikes Back, a further discussion on the importance of hope in Star Wars, and a look at what he's been doing since the last time we spoke, especially animal talking. This is Talking Bay 94, episode 87, Gary Weta Strikes Back. To our interview from it was August 2018, so that it seems oh, like wow. a very long time ago. Yeah, I don't even remember what we what we, I didn't remember what we what we even talked about back then. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you what we talked about. We talked about Time Bandits, which you know still holds okay. up. So still that good, sounds about right. Good conversation. Um, and then we talked about a lot of Rogue One talk, but we talked especially about your Ramus story that led off the original from a certain point of view. Oh, okay. Book. So that was actually for the first one of these books, and now. And now here second. we are. Okay. All right. Well, great. It. Cool. And so you've been not busy at all since then, right? Nothing major has been going on with Gary Witta. Yeah, I've been keeping a low profile. <laughs> right, yeah. So I'm very excited to talk about all that stuff that you've been doing, especially during quarantine, because it's been just like so much fun to see just how, yeah. how much that's all been going. But yeah. really, to lead it all off, to start, start everything, the last time we talked, you mentioned that Empire was the first Star Wars movie that you had seen in a theater. That's right. And so now being able to come and write a story for Empire Strikes Back <laughs> must be something very, very special. What was that like for you? And what was kind of the process of picking your story? I think I might know the answer based on the title, but um, I'd be curious about what your, your process was. Yeah, it's um, it's it's a really, really fun project uh, to be a part of. I, I, I love the idea that they, that they uh, came up with back in uh, 2017 to um, commemorate the 40th anniversary of, of the first Star Wars movie by doing this, you know, certain point of view book. Uh, and I just thought it was a really cool idea, you know, kind of take these ancillary characters, like maybe someone that is just in uh, the background of one shot for like two seconds. But we're all fascinated because Star Wars is so fascinated, right? It's one of those, one of those movies that we do, we, we, we freeze frame every shot. And we're like, who's that guy? I want to know his story, right? Every, every, every ancillary character, every character that's in that movie for like barely like a split second we want to know more about them because george built such an incredibly rich universe and the idea of that book was to was to do exactly that was to take those very very small characters and kind of get inside their heads and and tell you know their story mm -hmm. uh, and so the idea of kind of revisiting the original movie uh from the different points of views of these of these background characters and and getting into the idea that you know they have lives and backstories and uh, as rich as, as any of the main characters. I just thought it was a really, really neat way creatively to kind of honor the original film. And I remember right. saying to him at the time, like, please do this again. Like, you got to, now you got to do all three, right? You got to do Empire, you got to do Jedi. Uh, but I didn't know if they were going to or not. I mean, I presume the book was successful, mm -hmm. uh, but I didn't know if they, if they was just a one off or if they wanted to go again and do the whole trilogy. So I was actually really uh, pleased when they reached out and said, hey, we're doing it again. Do you want to, do you want to come back? Mm -hmm. um, and I kind of jumped at it. And then the first part of the process is, well, what story do you want to do? And I didn't get like my full, I was actually really fortunate in that I got to do my first pick, but I was a little bit lucky in that by the time they came to me, they had already spoken to some other authors and they had already kind of claimed, oh, I want this character mm -hmm. or I want that character. They basically kind of send you a list of like, here's all the, here's the characters and the stories and the perspectives that have already been kind of claimed by other authors. Um, and had someone done the one that I wanted to do, I would have been hard. I would have found something, right. you know, 
cool to do otherwise, but I knew what in my head what <laughs> I wanted to do. I had been thinking about it since uh, the first book. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there, there were two ways into it for me. One was, I mean, I love all of The Empire Strikes Back. It is my favorite. Well, okay. My favorite Star Wars movie is Return of the Jedi, and okay. I will have that conversation with anyone. Uh-huh. I'm not saying it's the best one. I'm just saying it's my personal favorite. It has a very, very special association for me like all of my all of my memories of like remember going back to childhood like i want to do this for a living they they come from return of the jedi that was the movie that really really like blew me away in the theater empire did as well but for some reason maybe because it's the end of the trilogy and all the emotional resolution of luke and vader and all that kind of stuff and the battle at the end is still so amazing to me that like that was the movie that was most transportive I still think Empire is kind of, you know, qualitatively, objectively, probably the best one of, mm-hmm. of all of them. Um, and as flattering as it is to have people come up to me and say, oh, you know, Rogue One is my favorite Star Wars movie, or I think it's the best Star Wars movie because, right. you know, I, I made a small contribution to it. That's really flattering. But like, I, 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 the first thing I say is, well, hold on a minute. What, what, what about <laughs> The Empire Strikes Back? You know, I'll vote for that over my own movie because it's so good. And, you know, there's so many great, parts of that it's essentially kind of three parts right the hoth section and then dagobah and 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 uh, bespin right it's kind of mm-hmm. the three main chunks of that movie and they're all kind of interconnected and I, I love them all but my favorite chunk of it is hoth i just love hoth and i think many right. many people do love it it's why it's become such an iconic part of the star wars universe you know the walkers um and mm-hmm. just j- just that whole sense of there's a really interesting tone. I'm going to go on like a big on, on a big no, digression it. here. But there's a really <laughs> there's a really interesting tonal shift that happens between the first movie and the second one. The first one is, you know, aside from like entire planets being destroyed, is actually fairly light in tone. Right? It's funny. It's it's a caper. We got to rescue the princess. It's right. an adventure. You know, we save the day at the end, and it's it's kind of a romp. Like it's a fun adventure. And the second movie opens in a way that I think is much more kind of dark and mature and like, wow, this is a real war and these guys are on the run and they have been forced, you know, the empire has pursued them so relentlessly that they are now forced to kind of make their base in a place that, you know, is like virtually uninhabitable. And that's how desperate they are to find a place where they can hide. And you just get this real sense for the first time in empire in that hot sequence of like, just how difficult it would be to be the rebels and to stay hidden from the empire with their vast resources. And they're so determined to, to flush them out and destroy them uh, that they're living in this like frigid place where they can barely survive. It just kind of, it felt, it felt real and grounded uh, in the same way that people like people, people really like rogue one for saying it feels like, you know, really grounded. And, you know, this is what it would really be like, you know, on the ground between the rebels and the empire. I, I feel that I, to me, that all started with the empire strikes back in the Hoth base. Mm-hmm. Um, I've just always loved, loved that section. So I knew I wanted to do something in that space. I wanted, wanted to do something on Hearth. If I didn't get the story that I wanted, I, I probably would have found something else to do on Hearth. Right. And then the other part of it, I guess, is just a little bit cheeky in that people <laughs> jokes to me about Rogue 2 for the right. longest time. Like, when's Rogue 2? When's Rogue 2? And we're like, well, it doesn't really make sense to do Rogue 2. Rogue 2 is a new hope. Like, that's the, right. that's the follow-up to that movie. I guess the only way that you could do it, and I don't think it would necessarily be that interesting, would be the other Death Star plans, right? Mm-hmm. The, um, you know, the, uh, the, the Bothans that stole the plans for the second Death Star. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that other stuff, I think, I mean, I have nothing to do with it, but I assume that a lot of that, a lot of that energy, like, oh, we love the espionage, we love the rebels, we love kind of the street level stuff, will probably be handled in the Cassian Andor show that they're developing. Right. So all that stuff's being, that's probably the closest thing you're going to get to a Rogue to. Like, if you want more Rogue One, the Cassian Andor show, my, my guess, again, I know nothing about it, but my guess is it will have you covered. 
but people rogue two rogue two rogue two and it almost became kind of <laughs> mean and the whole reason why rogue one is the title of the movie is i was you know i needed a call sign uh, when i was writing the original draft of the script and i've always loved that you know that rogue designation and you know if you if you played the video games you know rogue leader and rogue squadron and all that kind of stuff oh, it just kind of felt like rogue was you know it just fit and it and it fit for Jin because you know she goes rogue like it just make perfect sense right. and in the original version of the script so that that was her designation i believe it was either rogue it was rogue leader or rogue one and those were the two titles that i submitted when mm-hmm. everyone when we were trying to find a title I, I had a whole list that i put forward and two of them on it were rogue leader and rogue one and they picked Rogue One, and that's how it became the title of the movie. But it was, but it comes, you know, Rogue, the first time you hear the word Rogue is in The Empire Strikes Back. This is Rogue Two. Commander Skywalker, do you copy, right? That's the first time that you, that you learn, oh, there's a Rogue Squadron. That's badass. Right. <laughs> and, and, you know, we learned afterwards as the universe expanded that that was a squadron that was founded by Luke, you know, after uh, the events of A New Hope. And he basically kind of gave him his own, hey, well done, you blew up the Death Star. You can, do, you, you can have anything you want. You want your own squadron? You're a hero of the Rebellion. Right. And so they give him his own squadron. And uh, I just thought that was really cool. And again, we've seen that play at this Road Squadron books and comic books and video games. And it's been very um, uh, well explored in, I guess, what is now referred to as the Legends universe. Right. Um, and I, th- I just thought it would be an interesting way to get back to it and kind of cheekily say to, you know, people that have asked for, hey, you want Rogue? I hey, guess what? I'm doing Rogue <laughs> 2. It's not the Rogue 2 that you that you necessarily think. Because, of course, Rogue right. 2 is uh, Zev Sineska, the pilot in Rogue Squadron, right. the snowspeeder pilot who finds uh, Skywalker in Solo after they get lost um, on Hoth. And so it originally started as let's do something cute with the Rogue 2 designation to kind of bring it all back around. You know, the story I did in the first book was a Rogue One continuation, you know, with Raymond Santilli's. And, you know, it, it just made sense to try and do in, in, a, in a much more kind of like metatextual way, right. have another kind of Rogue One connection to this one by doing, you know, Rogue Two, which is, as I said, where the title of the first movie came from. Right. And uh, it kind of started from from there. And, you know, obviously you've, you've read the story and I'm happy to kind of talk to you about it in more detail. But that's that again. Yeah, and I'd love to d- delve into a little detail. And so this this episode will be coming out the day after the book releases. So this is a spoiler warning in case you have not gotten to this part of the book and you can skip ahead four or five minutes. There's a moment where a Zeb is flying and is remembering Leia talking about rebellions are built on hope. And I love that that, that has kind of carried through from Jin's legacy and has become a really strong part of what the rebellion right. means now to people. What else in your mind kind of have you seen the the legacy of the rogue one characters imparting on now what we see in the battle of hoth and especially in your story yeah so i thought that was a really fun way uh, aside from the kind of the tongue-in-cheek connection to actually try to connect that rogue to call sign and rogue squadron you know back to um you know we kind of retrofitted it right so rogue you know rogue rogue two and rogue squadron and the empire strikes back begat you know rogue one being the name of the movie and the, and the call sign for that mission at the end of at the end of the movie um but i always love this idea that we actually would connect those canonically and so the idea is that yeah after the events of uh, the battle of yavin the rebels know what what happened that there was you know because it goes it happened in front of everyone right? jin's there in front of all the rebel leadership they all know everyone this mission wasn't a secret by the right. time it went down like Mon Mothma and uh, Dodonna, everybody knows what happened. The Death Star plans were stopped. It was like hundreds of pilots and soldiers were involved in that in that operation. So it's no secret um, uh, among the rebellion who Jin and Cassian and K two and Bodhi and uh, all these guys were. Um, and so the and the idea is that they've you know become it posthumously heroes of the rebellion. Right? Everybody right. kind of reveres them, and you know, were, you know were it not for their sacrifice. 
as I've said before, you know, it, it basically Rogue One is is the movie. You know, they 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 sacrificed Jin and Cassian and those characters sacrificed their lives so that the entire Star Wars franchise can live. Like if they don't steal those plans. The Star Wars franchise is a very depressing series of movies about the Death Star going around blowing up planets until the right. rebellion surrenders. Right, that's not much fun. Right. So, um, and I, I, just, I thought that should be reflected like in the universe as well. So, you know, Luke uh, and Mon Mothma and Leia, everyone knows that that Jin uh, and her team uh, sacrificed their lives, you know, to basically save the like, you know, in in the annals of like rebel heroism. They're at, right up there at the very top. Right. And uh, the idea was that that Luke. In, although in the real world, the Empire Strikes Back inspired the Rogue One call sign, uh, in, the, in, in, the, in the Star Wars world, it's the other way around, right? The Rogue right. One call sign led to the creation of Rogue Squadron, that, that Luke called it Rogue Squadron out of honor, you know, to, to honor uh, Jin and, and those other fallen heroes. Right. And, I, and I love this idea, we talk about this a little bit in the book, and I've always had this kind of fan theory that I guess now we've kind of made canonical that yeah. There is no Rogue One designation. You go straight from Rogue Leader to Rogue Two because you know typically there might be. Sometimes there's a bit of discussion: is what is is Rogue Leader and Rogue One the same thing? But like they don't ever use the name right. Rogue One anymore because in the same way, like when a legendary basketball player retires, they kind of lift his jersey up into the rafters and they retire his number, and no one ever gets to be like number twenty three again or whatever. Right. Well, no one else ever gets to be Rogue One uh, ever again like that. That's Jin's and that team's call sign, and that's how they honor it. And so. Uh, we just talk a little bit in the background about that. That's how the name of Rogue Squadron came about and how Luke and all the pilots, you know, and, and everyone in the rebellion from Leia on down kind of, you know, still remember and revere and, and are trying to honor Jin and her mission to to steal the Death Star plans. The story that you tell of, of again, humanizing these characters, and I love the betting aspect of it. Because, <laughs> like, I was like, oh, like, what side would I, you know, bet on when, when it comes to the romance of, of Han or Leia or then, of course, the, the survival and, and Leia coming into it? And kind of showcasing herself as a leader. You wrote obviously a tiny bit of Leia in in Rogue One, but with this story especially, how did you want to portray Leia as a leader, and what were kind of the steps you were taking in your mind? Yeah, one of the things that I kind of can't help myself doing, even when I'm writing, uh, you know, ancillary characters, is find a way for them to interact with, you know, the the, the, the you know the legendary characters that we all right. know. Um, you know, we had, of course, we, we put Tark and Vader in, in Rogue One, A, because, you know, we love those characters and we wanted to, we wanted to kind of have a, have a chance to kind of fanboy out and write for those characters, but also because it made, you can't really tell the story of the Death Star without having Vader and, and Tark in there. They're you know, pivotal right. figures. We, 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 and the movie takes place literally like the day before. So if they're there today, that's the reason <laughs> it would have been there yesterday. So it's not that much of a stretch. And, you know, we obviously in, on Rogue One, we had a, a, a ton of fun, you know, playing around with, those characters with Tarkin and, and Vader and writing those scenes was like some of the most, you know, fanboyish thrills that I had in that movie. Um, and then with the Ramus story, you know, again, stands to reason he would be interacting with, you know, she interacts with uh, Leia, Leia and Ramus interact at the end of Rogue One. And, you know, right. it makes total sense that they would know each other. He's the captain of her ship. And so, you know, you always be careful. You're always aware, like, not to try and shoehorn characters into the story just because you want to write for this big name character. But I've been very fortunate in the characters, even the ancillary ones that I have written for, like Ramus and now Zev Seneska, they are all in close proximity with, you know, Leia and Luke and Han and the, and the characters that we all know the best. And so for this one, um, I really wanted to try to, as much as the story is told from the point of view of Zev Seneska, it's not necessarily about him. It's really about, life on echo base and 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 how the other pilots respond to uh you know the loss of, of commander skywalker and that you think about like that 24 hours you know you see it from the point of view of 
like, you know, um, Chewie kind of like crying out in anguish when the shield doors close and Leia's looking devastated and 3PO, dear, oh dear, like the whole thing. Like everyone's right. really sad. Um, but, you, but again, you never really see the other pilots and there's this sense of, you know, what are they doing? And I love mm -hmm. this idea that, that Luke, uh, Commander Skywalker, having been given this squadron, was very, very humble about that. There's a, there's a little speech in the book that he gives that I like when he says, hey, I'm just a kid from a moisture farm. So right. try to go easy on me when I screw up because he's never commanded a squadron before. He kind of got right. thrown in at the deep end. But, but, but the fact that he comes from a very kind of working class, so to speak, kind of blue collar background, he really is just a kid from a farm in the middle of nowhere. That he doesn't have, he doesn't put on any airs. Like he's very much like a man of the of the people, and the pilots love him for that. Like he takes the time to remember all their names. He knows who they are, who they are. Like he asks you how you're doing, and genuinely listens to you. Like and so, like his his pilots, the people that serve under him, love him. Um, and so that when he goes missing, they they're just climbing the wars. They don't know what to do with themselves. Like they really they need him back. Like he's so pivotal. He's like a father figure to them. And you talk to any pilot or any soldier who served especially during wartime, there is a tremendous amount of just sitting around waiting, right? Like, so you might have to suddenly scramble or go into battle and, 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 and spring into action very quickly, but there's like hours and days of just sitting around waiting for the orders to come, right? And how do you amuse yourself and keep up morale? And, you know, you play cards, you joke around, play pranks. And, you know, they, the idea is in this one that they gamble. There's always, they're always betting on something. Right. try to you know again just to try to keep spirits up and just to occupy themselves because they're stuck in this freezer right there's nothing to do you can't go outside like it doesn't look it's not a fun place to be and they're there for a really long time hours turning into days and weeks and, and morale and kind of mental health we know we of course know this better than we all know this now better than anyone right because we've all been locked right. up in our own private echo bases now for the better right. part here and mental health is an issue and how do you how do you keep your spirits up? And the idea that they have this kind of ongoing betting pool and they're always finding something to gamble on just as a distraction, I thought was really fun. But the, the whole point was, even though it's told from the point of view of, of Zev, I really wanted to have the story be kind of an insight into um, how, the, how the Titanic characters, the legendary characters from the movie, uh, Leia, Han and, uh, and Luke, are viewed by the people uh, around them. And we see that, uh, Skywalker's revered. I like the idea that the pilots think that Solo is just a bit of a blowhard, just a bit of a dick. Yeah. Like he spends way too much time talking about that piece of junk ship of his. You know, like they, they right. like they respect Solo, but like, well, they kind of do and they don't. Like they, they they see him for what he is, which is like he, at the end of the day, in the clutch, he's going to be there for you. But you have to put up with a lot of shit from him along the way, and they <laughs> they see him for what he is. Um, and Leia, of course, they absolutely revere because you know she's this you know she's a legendary right. figure. She helped. Uh, with the Death Star plans uh, as well. And it's just this, has always been portrayed uh, as just a tremendous leader, right? And, the, and every, everyone looks up to her. And when, and, you know, when she gives a speech, people listen and she lifts everyone's spirits. And so the idea there was for her to, for her to kind of have the pivotal moment. That's my favorite moment in the story when she explains, um, you know, she, when she says, you know, I'm, you're not betting on, uh, on Skywalker's uh, life, you're betting on his survival. And she bets on every pilot. So I know you're going to find him. And then just in that one moment, she kind of raises, you know, she, everyone's like, yeah, yeah, we're going to, like, they, 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 she turns right. just in this one moment in the barracks, all these pilots are like, oh, what's going to happen? Well, they're, they're all kind of thinking very fatalistic about, you know, he's not going to survive out there because they know how uh, dangerous an environment Hoth is. She comes in and five minutes later, they're all like, yeah, yeah, we're going to find him. And that, that's just a great example, I think, of like the kind of leadership that she, you know, brings to the table. Um, and I just, right. so it was really, really nice to get to write it's actually, I think, the most I've ever gotten, because I wrote, I wrote a little tiny bit of her dialogue in Ramus, but this right. is kind of the most I've ever gotten to write uh, for Leia. 
right. and it was just a real thrill to kind of you know try and put yourself in her shoes and say like what would she say to these men at a time like this and it's it was just just a thrill to write for her I mean, even even talking about your brief moments writing her and Ramus, I still remember they have to separate, obviously, while she's escaping and she gives him a little kiss on the cheek or whatever, because they know they'll never see each other again. And like that still is so poignant to me thinking about that story and how you're so easily able to bridge these things that we are just taking for granted. Like you're saying, Echo Base, when I was growing up, you know, it would snow outside. And so you would recreate the Battle of Hoth. You know, it's just part of what we think about Star Wars. But now you are able to really bring it into actually like humanizing real world kind of places that all these characters feel like they're really fighting for something even bigger than what we see on the screen. Yeah, just just from a nerdy point of view, I I really liked, and the story talks about it a little bit, like just what it took to even establish that base, like carving out those ice caves and uh, just getting heating running through the base and things like that. Because there's all these like pipes and tubes (laughs) running through in the production design of running through the base. And it, uh, you know, gets my nerdy mind going about like, man, someone had to run all that cable, right? right? There was a point where they, you think about it, there was a point where those ships landed on Hoth and there was just nothing there. And like, we have to carve out a base here. Right. And it took them months to do it, to carve out those ice caves. You, you can tell, again, in the production design, you can see that those tunnels and hallways have all been like manually carved out of the ice. Right. And so, um, you know, how long did it take to do that? And like, and just like how many people must have died establishing that base? And there's right. heroism just even in that simple act. Um, and, you know, the, the, the stories are a great example, I think, to kind of, uh, peek into that world a little bit just like how much like hard laborious work right. there is behind like it's not all glamour right <laughs> it's not all flying around walkers with tow cables and having hero moments like there's a lot of boring crap you have to do right. as well just to kind of keep the lights on in echo base and those those people are heroes too and so yeah. it's a good opportunity to, to, to kind of shine a light on that yeah and i mean i love that it also kind of mimics the actual behind the scenes of filming in Norway, in Finse, right? Where it was like below freezing and they were like trying to work out of a hotel room. Right. The worst place in the world to, to film a movie. Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. So I love that that's kind of mimicked. Moving uh, slightly away, you brought up, you know, in, in a few years we'll have a Return of the Jedi from a certain point of view, hopefully. But let's go 40 years past that. Like, let's say, what would that be? 2056 for a Rogue One from a certain point of view, right? And who knows? <laughs> oh God, I'll be dead. Right? Yeah, I was like, I was like, what? <laughs> like, what, what, why? like what's going to be happening? But all that to be said, like what characters from Rogue One would you like love to see fleshed out by an, uh, an up and coming author in 2056 and it get beamed into our brains or something for, for that uh, installment? I mean, not necessarily. I wouldn't, I wouldn't consider him like a candidate for a Rogue One certain point of view book because he's a major character in the movie as opposed to a character you only see for two minutes. Mm-hmm. But like one of, the, one of the things that I love most about Rogue One, my favorite character is Saw. Mm. I love Saw Gerrera and, you know, we were, I remember. I still remember sitting around with uh, with Gareth and and Kiri Hart back in the day when when Kiri were, ran the story group there when we were developing Rogue One and and Gareth would say like I feel like I, he he was really interested in the like the moral shades of gray like the moral ambiguity the idea that there actually would be good people on the side of the Empire right. who are conflicted about what they're doing and that there would be and that there would be people on the rebellion side who uh, might be fighting on the right side but are willing to do things that we might find morally reprehensible and you know right. some people believe the end justifies the means and others don't. And Gareth really wanted to get into that. You know, the, he was talking about shades of gray rather than just white hats and black hats. And you know, we, and so you find that right. You, you find that in the character of uh, of Galen, right, who mm-hmm. technically works for the Empire, but you know he's a good man underneath. Helped build this this monstrous planet killing weapon, but deep down knew it was wrong and found a way to kind of undo the work that he had done. So that you know, there are good people inside the Empire. And again, we, we just kind of caught up in a bad situation that we've seen. 
uh, all kinds of other stories in recent years of storytelling of, uh, you know, like Battlefront 2 told that whole story of um, uh, the Imperial pilot who's like, she's on the wrong right. side, but you still kind of like her. Um, and, uh, and of course, uh, on um, uh, in Rogue One, there's, there's all kinds of shades of gray from Cassian who, you know, in the very first scene, like shoots an informant right. because it's the only way he's going to survive. Um, there's a brilliant piece of performance there, by the way, from Diego Luna. I'm sure you've seen it, but like for people who don't remember it, after he shoots that guy in that alleyway, because it's really the only way he's going to get out of that alleyway alive. Mm -hmm. If he doesn't do it, like the whole thing's for nothing. He has to kill the guy. There's a just a beautiful little piece of performance from Diego Luna there where like right after he does it, there's just a moment where he, he, he knows that he's just lost another piece of his soul. Right. You know, it's like, what, like, what is this doing to me? But like, I've got to do it. And I know, it, I know it's, again, the end justifies the means, but man, that was right. rough. I had to do that. And then the big idea that we pitched in that meeting with Kiri was like Gareth wanted like a Colonel Kurtz, Apocalypse Now character. Mm -hmm. Like what, what, what is a rebel who has gone off the deep end and has actually gone like beyond freedom fighting and into terrorism? Like right. what does that look like? Like someone who is willing to do anything to defeat the empire, even if it's morally, you know, reprehensible. And Kiri mentioned, well, George actually did create a character like that in the Clone Wars called Saw Gerrera. And, you know, he would be older now and maybe that's a character we could revisit. And she kind of opened the door for us to explore Saw Gerrera. We went and watched the Clone Wars episodes and talked a lot about Forrest Whitaker. And um, we just love the idea of, of a character who had, um, you know, in, in my head, the idea was that he originally was like a senior figure in the rebellion mm -hmm. who was around the table with Mon Mothma and, you know, Dodonna and all the series, you know, and, and, and Nadine and sorry, Nadine and all the major characters. But at some point there had been like a difference of opinion about like how best to fight the empire that, you know, Mon Mothma and the others were like, you know, we can only go so far. Right. Uh, and Guerrero and his guys would be like, no, 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 like we're fighting the ultimate evil here. Like there's no limit. Like you have to play by their rules. Otherwise we're going to lose. Right. Uh, and then there, were, then there was eventually some kind of difference of opinion that was irreconcilable and Saw just left and ended up going kind of forming his own like uber militant Great. splinter faction that had since gone on that, that, that was doing so, so many terror, like blowing up civilian convoys and stuff like that and like actual acts of terrorism against you know, imperial planets that he had actually become kind of a PR nightmare for the rebellion. Like he was like, they, they thought he wasn't helping. And I just thought that was, it was, I just thought it was really, really interesting to explore that. And I was actually very privileged uh, that uh, when I came back to work on Star Wars Rebels, I got to write that uh, episode where where Forrest Whitaker comes back as Saw Gerrera, and I got to write the scene that I always thought should have been in Rogue One, where like he really talks to Mon Mothma about like the two different um, uh, attitudes towards prosecuting the war. Right. And I think it's like Guerrero says something to her like, you know, when this is all over and there's Imperial flags flying across the galaxy, I hope you'll find some comfort in knowing that you played by the rules. Or whatever it was right. that he says, it's like, yeah, like he kind of like he, he's a monster, but you kind of think shit, like I kind of want to be like, he's like, he's the guy that's going to win this for the rebellion, even though, even though you've got to get your hands bloody to do it. And those different perspectives, I think, um, are fascinating. And again, I have no idea what the Cassian Andor series is doing, right. but, it, you know, I hope that they explore that. A little bit more the idea that the rebellion uh the rebellion's always been kind of politically divided i think that's why they struggled for a long time like the empire is like palpatine says this is what we're doing right. and that's what they're doing like there's no debate right there's no discussion and the rebellion is and you saw it very clearly in rogue one like a lot of people from politically diverse worlds all kind of squabbling about what the best course of action is and aside from the fact that the empire has far greater you know resources and technical capability than the rebellion um, it's also the fact that they just have more efficient leadership in Palpatine that, you know, Palpatine says we're doing this, they're doing it. And Mon Moth is like, why don't we do this? And then there's like three weeks of arguing about it before anything gets done. And that's democracy, right? Democracy is messy. It's not always the fastest 
almost efficient system of government. Right. Um, and we, we and we showed some of that in Rogue One, and I thought that was really cool. And I would like to see more of that, whether again, whether yeah. it be in the TV show or in subsequent films or television, uh, just opening up the rebellion to show that it is really messy. Yeah. Um, and no, not not everyone always agrees. And I think we began to scratch the surface of that. Uh, in Rogue One and some of Rebels, and I would like to—I would like to see more of that, basically. Yeah, it definitely does not hit any harder in current times than it did in 2016 at all. Like, you know, nothing, nothing, uh, right? Nothing happening uh, politically currently that 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 might impact a, a viewing of Rogue One now. Uh, <laughs> moving from Star Wars, la- I listened to our interview, and the last time I, it was—you're the grand slam of Star Wars writers, right? You did comics, you did the movies, you did the TV, and you've done the books. Like, there's nothing like, <laughs> like maybe the I would still like to do. I would games. still like to do a video there game, but yeah, it's um, no. That's that. That was like a weird statistic that somebody pointed out to me once. I don't think even George. I mean, obviously he could if he sure. wanted to. He just cared not to. Uh, but yeah, I've written for I've written Star Wars for film, television, books, and comics, and I think I am the only writer who's who's done that yeah i love it it's pretty cool. no it is very cool well i mean changing subject slightly like is there a video game maybe not idea but type of video game that you would want to see in the star wars universe that maybe has not been done yet or hasn't been done recently that you think could be a good way to expand the ip in a video game sense in terms of video games um i mean you know the the, the these last several years under ea have been kind of a mixed bag right, right? they they got a very rough start with uh, Battlefront and even Battlefront 2, you know, there was, it was a lot of weird things. I know they had to kind of rush a game out that first Battlefront to kind of meet, you know, they wanted to have a game out at the same time that the new movie came out. But Star Wars has always, for me at least, been built on story. So to release a Star Wars game that had no story in it at all, that was just kind of multiplayer, uh, you know, running around killing each other, just kind of felt like you're right. missing some essence of Star Wars there. Um, and then since then, you know, Battlefront 2 had a decent, you know, they actually had a story campaign that was pretty good. Uh, but then they got caught up in this whole mess with microtransactions right. and it was a bit messy. And then Amy Hennig's game, which I thought was going to be brilliant, getting canceled. And it was like, what's going on like on the video game side for a while? Right. Uh, but it seems like maybe they're starting to write the ship. You know, Fallen Order obviously was really super well received. Squadrons yep. as well. It's taken them a while, but maybe they're finding their, their groove now. I don't know. But um, for me, you know, coming from a video game background, right. this is something that often gets forgotten about. People talk about those years, you know, through the um, like kind of mid eighties through mid nineties, that decade where Star, you know, between Return of the Jedi and the Phantom Menace, where Star Wars was, you know, it just what nothing was happening like in the cinematic space or in television. Yeah. And it was kind of laying fallow for a while. And people talk about, you know, the expanded universe novels and comics kind of keeping the flag flying during that time, but not enough people talk about the video games as being right. a big part of that. Like if you think about it for that decade, um, during the year that, you know, like, um, you know, Knights of the Old Republic and X-Wing and TIE Fighter and all these amazing games, you know, and Dark Forces, Jedi Knight, all these amazing games were coming out. That was the only way to experience Star Wars on a screen, mm-hmm. you know, with sound, you know, with music and everything, all the trappings that you'd expect, you know, and voice acting. Um, it was the closest thing to the movies that we got with the video right. games. And, and, I, and I loved that. And so some of my most cherished Star Wars memories are actually from the video game side. And I, I feel like uh, video games have always been and should always be like a central pillar of, you know, the Star Wars creative strategy going forward. I think movies always are first, right? Because it began mm-hmm. as a film franchise. You know, the TV side seems to be, you know, Mandalorian. People really like the Mandalorian and, you know, they're obviously doing you know, more TV shows. And I think that'll continue to grow the books and comics you know are you know the high republic stuff and there's so much stuff going on right there's more there's more going on in the star wars 
space, you know, across all the different media than there ever has been. And I think that's great. Um, and I'm, I'm glad that video games are in that mix. I, ju I just think that in generally we don't, when we talk about everything that's happening in the Star Wars space, maybe there's still this weird stigma or bias against video games. I don't know what it is, but like the video games have always been a really important part of the Star Wars experience and Star Wars storytelling. Mm -hmm. um, and I think we often lose, lose sight of that. Right. What I would love to see from Star Wars video games, and this kind of goes into our next topic of conversation, but I want something kind of dumb. Like, I don't know. Like, I think we get the, I mean, especially Fallen Order proved it. The story mode of Battlefront 2 proved it. And we can get very cinematic, very compelling stories and new characters. But there's part of me that, and that's just from me growing up in the prequel era, that wants something dumb like even Star Wars Pod Racer. Like, if you did that now, like, I don't know if that would be as not well received, but you have something like Lego Star Wars having someone be so excited for it. But I want something a little more, just like play with the IP a little bit and uh, and mess around. I think that could be something something interesting to, to play. No, I, I, I quite agree. You know, Star Wars has always had this more whimsical side uh, to it where you can go and, do, go and do fun stuff, you know, animation. And um, I feel like the Lego stuff has really become the standard bearer for that, right? right? Like the, the Lego world is just where you kind of get to kick back and kind of have fun and be a bit tongue-in-cheek and a bit self referential and you know really excited about the holiday special that they're doing on the lego side yes. right if they, I, I was saying for ages like they should bring back the holiday special put it on abc right. um and I, I honestly if it were me i would have preferred like a full blowout live action right. thing but the lego if you it probably makes if you're going to do it do it in the lego world because everyone understands that the lego star wars universe is kind of its own thing right. and can and and has more kind of creative editorial freedom to kind of goof around without you know necessarily affecting what's happening kind of in the central, um, you know, live action or animated or literary uh, universe. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. I used to really enjoy the old like Tales from Jabba's Palace comic books mm -hmm. that were really uh, goofy. Um, I don't know if you, if you ever remember this one, but they did a comic strip. It was basically, I think Greedo was on trial. No, Han Solo, I think, was on trial for like shooting Greedo. Uh -huh. And, and uh, uh, the, one of the lawyers had like footage of, of Han shooting, <laughs> of Greedo shooting first, or Han shooting first. Uh, no, Greedo shooting first, but then the other lawyer's going, no, I think you'll find this footage has been doctored, <laughs> and we actually have the original unaltered footage here, and you clearly see Han does shoot first. Right. And it was just, again, really fun ways to kind of litigate some of that meta stuff that happens outside of the universe and put it into storytelling, I think is really, really fun. Um, I think I, my guess is the Lego stuff is going to continue to, like, you know, it, it's weird. I don't know. I think that they're very they're obviously very protective of their of their franchise and uh, and rightly so mm -hmm. uh so you know like stuff like detours right. never made you know we had uh, paul Shear on my talk show mm -hmm. recently and, and he talked about star wars uh you know after after darth right. which is the kind of late night you know space ghost type talk show hosted by darth vader which looked hilarious right. but at some point they decided that that just wasn't what they wanted to do at that time right. um so it's definitely it's definitely a balancing act and he's and he, time you do uh some of the some of the goofiest stuff but like humans always been a part of the star wars universe like in, even in the central film so i i hope they will continue to, to to find ways to explore that yeah no i hope so as well because like you're saying star wars tales is still something that i revisit right it's so much easier to kind of go back and like enjoy a couple one shots than than delve back into hours and hours and hours of lore and so sometimes especially with the whole you know, Star Wars drama every week. It's nice to being able to be like, okay, like I love what Star Wars is and I want to kind of participate while still enjoying myself and, and having fun. That's not just like checking off boxes and in, ca in canon. Yeah. 
and that and that and, and that's the beauty of having something that is so big and so rich that you can do all these different spin-offs and like the leg like i said the lego star wars universe is its own universe and that can really be the clearinghouse for doing a lot of that goofy stuff like i said doing the holiday special there in the lego world makes perfect sense to me because i don't think you're ever going to see like a screwball comedy in, in a live action you know star wars yeah. you know uh, movie um, but you can, but you can do that comedy in other media that are kind of, you know, whether it be Lego or comic books or whatever, there's, there's, there, there's a, there's a place for it, um, for sure. So, you know, some of it, so if you think about like your favorite Star Wars memories, a lot of them are, right. you know, the funny moments. Yeah, no, 100%. And I mean, now moving to what you've been doing since the last time we talked, I mean, obviously what's stuck out to me and stuck out to so many people. And it's even what we were talking about earlier with, you know, being in our own private echo base right now right where there's not a lot of joy or laughter or humor or whatever it is uh, and so a lot of us have been like going back to video games as a way for us to communicate and a way for us to kind of collaborate with others that we might not be able to see like i actually i bought a switch the first week of quarantine <laughs> and uh, and animal crossing just right. to like feel something right just to do something and then you of course took it a step further uh with animal talking and then with with talk guys and i'd love to delve in a little bit about what your experience has been connecting with people that way like obviously like this show for me has been such a blessing because i get to talk to people like you for an hour and you know i'm in a studio apartment and then i'm able to kind of go beyond my own world and kind of have a, an hour of hope you know and an hour of enjoyment how has that been for you with animal talking especially and how have you seen that success kind of build um as you've kind of created this community around it yeah it's it's really been a blessing and the and the success on to to have has, has been fun but it was right. never really the point that was just kind of a, a, a unexpected icing on the cake the original plan as i've said a million times before was just to kind of find a way to kind of put a smile on um the faces of myself and the people around me you know we're all stuck right. at home we can't really connect but video games offer this incredible um opportunity to kind of connect in these these virtual spaces you know what what we're now starting mm -hmm. to refer to as the metaverse you know where you can go off to this other place you know, we're not quite at the matrix or ready player one type level, holodeck levels of integration yet, but we can connect with people. And it was a real joy, for example, during, you know, the lockdown you know, when no one can, can go out to see my wife and my daughter and my mother-in-law um, all connecting on the same Animal Crossing island, yeah, having a little yeah. tea party. Like that's, it's kind of heartbreaking that that's all we can do right now, but it's also really heartwarming that, that, that technology and games allow us to connect in that way like three generations of my family all kind of hanging out on an animal crossing island and animal crossing was obviously already having a big kind of cultural moment because it was a game that came out at exactly the right time just when we needed it just when we all wanted an escape from how miserable the real world was and continues to be along came a game that said hey you know come hang out on this bucolic island where nothing bad ever happens like people really really needed that in their lives and they responded to it and flocked to it and it became you know this incredible sensation and I, I the, the intention was not to kind of piggyback off of that at all, but just to kind of, you know, go, go along for the ride and um, accidentally somehow ended up kind of building a talk <laughs> show set in the basement of my Animal Crossing house right. just to see if I could do it. Like, could, could we make this look like The Tonight Show? And it ended up looking really good and I did it live on stream. So all of my viewers were like egging me on going, oh, you should do something right. with it now that you've built the set. And so I called a friend of mine over and said, do you want to kind of pretend to be, a, do you want to come be a guest <laughs> on my pretend talk show? And we streamed it and we, we touched some kind of nerve because people loved it. So I'll do another one, do another one. And I really enjoyed doing it. Again, it was like, we're so bored and we're so depressed sitting around at home that doing that was like right. a highlight in my week. But that was so much fun. And I got to like have people over to my house, even though it was right. my virtual house. And, and just falling into all the tropes of the late night talk show that we've all known, you know, since the 1950s. Mm -hmm. We've all grown up with it, right? 
tell me about your new book. I understand you bought a clip <laughs> from your new movie. Like all those kind of, right. all those cliches. It was just hilarious to kind of fall into the, into the kind of the comfortable kind of rhythms of that. And the first few episodes was really just me inviting my friends over, like just people that I knew, like my wife was a guest on the right. show, her friend, you know, other Twitch streamers that I knew, no one like of any, you know, necessarily right. any kind of celebrity status. And then Twitch noticed what we were doing and thought it was cool and put it on their front page where, you know, you guaranteed <laughs> to get a lot of eyeballs and it just kind of blew up from there. And the next thing you know, we had like big celebrity bookers <laughs> calling us. And, you know, now we're at a point where after two seasons of the show, you know, we've had right. some of the biggest stars in the world on the show, you know, Selena Gomez, Brie right. Larson, Sting, you know, it's just, you know, just, just crazy the people that we've had on the show. Like we were getting guests and continue to get guests that are as good as right. anything Jimmy Fallon or, you know, the big boys right. will get. And I'm not quite sure how that happened because, you know, it's just me here in my, right. in my home office. Like there's basically wait uh, down here in the basement of my house. And we, we're getting these crazy guests because they all responded to something that they thought like they just saw right. kind of the whimsy in it like oh this is kind of cute and fun and like we didn't have to explain it to anyone and people wanted to be a part of it and now it's become kind of right. a big thing um and to, to the extent that honestly it's actually become quite stressful like when we're having big guests on the show there's like conversations you have to have right. with their pr people and when we have musicians on the show we have to clear the music so we can play it without getting a dmca right. you know copyright issue and that part's not fun at all. I almost kind of want to just go back to it being me and my friends again and forget about the big celebrity guests. But it has been brilliant. And to your point at the top of your question, the biggest blessing of it of, of all has been meeting all these weird and wonderful people from different walks of life that I might never have met. Like, I mean, you know, I meet showbiz people all the time right. because I'm, I'm a screenwriter. So I meet, you know, uh, you know, actors and directors and people like that all the time, show folk. But like, you know, I don't know if I ever would have done a movie or met right. Danny Trejo outside of this show right. or Elijah Wood or, you know, Shannon Woodward or Paul Shear or right. T-Pain or any, you know, Damon Albarn, any of the amazing people that we've, that we've had on the show. And some of these people have gone on to become my friends and now we're working on projects together and it's just you know it's just this incredible nexus for all of these people because talk you think about a talk show right it's like people from all walks of life it's celebrities it's academics it's musicians athletes you know people from the video game world just people from all like if you're interesting you know you can probably come on the show and so all of these people have come together and i've not just i've not just kind of struck up friendships and relationships with them but they have done so with each other like there are guests on the show who met each other from sitting on the couch and now they're off <laughs> right. doing stuff together and that, so it's just been a brilliant kind of point of connectivity for interesting people to meet each other and maybe go off and explore yeah. doing things. Yeah, I mean it really is a, a bright light and a, a bright kind of spot of hope and I think that's been a, a theme throughout all the questions and things that we've been talking about over the past 40 minutes or so is is that idea of finding hope in times that you know might feel a little <laughs> you know, it's hard to get up or it's hard to do your actual work or it's hard to kind of get through the day. And how have you been working? How have you been coping? How have you been trying to be the best Gary Widow you can be through all of this? And has that impacted your writing process? Has that impacted your creative process? Like what, what have you been able to do, especially during all of this? I mean, for, I mean, first of all, to your point on hope, I, I think that was very, I think you put it very well. And I totally respond to that. The idea that and this is something that Rogue One tried to talk about, obviously, that, you know, hope um, is often most needed when it's in the shortest supply, right? That's, and that's, that, that's kind of the terrible kind of irony and dichotomy of hope is like you, you need it most when you have the least of it available. Um, and we have seen that reflected in our lives over uh, the past week. I mean, God, again, God knows where we're going to be by the time people are listening to this podcast a week from now. But like as of today, the eve of the election, there's tremendous... 
uh, anxiety and tremendous fear, but also right. tremendous hope, you know, and um, it's, it's, it's something that's been, uh, this is, I mean, they will, it's no exaggeration. They will still be talking about 2020, a hundred years from now in terms of this being a historically miserable <laughs> year for the human race. It's right. been awful, just awful. Um, my, my daughter is stuck at home. She can't go to school. You know, everyone's climbing the walls, you know, people are dying in massive numbers. It's, it's just absolutely terrible. It's all been a direct result of the most catastrophic failure of leadership this country has ever seen in its lifetime. And that's, that's, it's, 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 it's horrible to see. And I absolutely despair as someone who loves this country. Um, I don't think anyone loves this country more than people who had to earn the right to become a citizen here. Uh, and, and and I'm one of them. You know, I came here and I and I, I and I and I worked hard and I did all did everything right and I did all the citizenship stuff and now I get to vote and live and um, you know uh, make a life here. And so I, I I'm so I, I'm like like I'm really into America. I think America's fantastic. I think what's happened to it over the past four years has been an absolute disgrace and a tragedy. Uh, but all the more reason you know to to fight for it. And so. Um, yeah, just just on just on the issue of hope, I think you know people often say Star Wars isn't political, but it's so often. <laughs> Star, it, Star Wars is political. <laughs> yeah. Go go go! I mean, go talk to George <laughs> about what he was talking about in the original movie, right? Talking right. about Nixon and the Vietnam War and all this kind of stuff. Like, give me a break. Yeah. Um, and Rogue One, obviously, you know, has has a lot of that, you know, running through it. You know, for me, even take the politics out of it. For me, and it's and it's a it's a theme that runs through all of my my work because I was ter- I was like I was a very nerdy kid in school and I was bullied a lot. I can't stand bullies. And that's again, as as of today, when we that's what we have right now at the top of the country is just a big bully, right. and you know, I, and I hate that. And you know, Rogue One, even if you take the the politics out of it, to me, it's a story about standing up to bullies, right? The Empire is a bully. That's how they achieve you know political supremacy, as they just bully everyone with superior strength. And you know, it's kind of a David and Goliath story. But if you have courage, if you believe, you can defeat the big bully, even even though you may be the little guy. And that's a message that I think everyone should subscribe to. And so on that point, yeah, absolutely. I think all these kind of tremendous parallels between uh, what Star Wars talks about and and what's going on in the real world. Because again, George was very, very smart in recognizing the political realities of the time and kind of infusing them, you know, very delicately into into the subtext of of the original um, films. In terms of me personally, I've been really fortunate in that it hasn't actually affected me that much. I work from home already. You know, I've, I've said this many times, but, you know, I... I put sweatpants on and walked 20 minutes, uh, sorry, 20 paces to my office and sat behind a computer all day before the pandemic. I'll do, I, I've been doing that during the pandemic right. and I'll do it after the pandemic. So it hasn't affected my life. I don't like going, I don't really like people. I don't like leaving the house. Every time I leave the house, I have occasion to say to my wife, you see, this is why I don't like you leaving the house mm-hmm. because you meet people <laughs> and like, people are annoying. And so I haven't really, I, I, don't, I don't feel terribly cooped. I, I may, mainly feel bad for my, for my family. Right. My, you know, my kid is at school and, my wife, you know, has had to put a lot of extra hours in taking care of, you know, the remote learning. And right. uh, it's been a tremendous strain on my family and, and families all obviously all across the country and around the world. We're not supposed to live this way. And so it's been hard on everyone. I, I would say that strangely, this has actually been one of the most productive years I've ever had because I'm stuck here. I've got nothing else to do. I may as well kind of throw myself into my writing. And I've done a lot of, uh, been working on a lot of stuff. I mentioned before the podcast, I have a thing that I'm working on that I'm hoping to bring out in January. If I'm, uh, if I'm fortunate, you'll let me come back in January and we'll talk more Star Wars and I'll, and I'll promote some of the other stuff that I'm working on outside of the Star Wars universe. Um, but yeah, it's, look, it's been hard on everyone, but those, those of us who are you know, writers and creative people, um, I have, I, it, everyone's responded to it differently. I know some people like me have really kind of thrown myself, throw themselves 
um, into their work and and have been very productive. Right. I know other people that the, pr- the productivity has really slowed down, not just because um, uh, you know they're stuck at home, which isn't necessarily an impediment to writing, but just kind of the mental state, the emotional state, like how the hell, especially for people in my business, like how how are we supposed to write about spaceships and robots and zombies and ninjas and pirates and cool stuff like that when you look outside the window or turn on the TV and you see the reality that we're living in. Mm-hmm. Like it almost feels like an irresponsible act to kind of be working on this, you know, kind of trivial, you know, sci-fi stuff when right. there's really, really important stuff happening in the world. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of writers uh, and creative people that I know have had, you know, have had a real reckoning with that. And some have really, really struggled to engage uh, creatively because again, what, what's more important in the world right now than, than right. what everything that's, that's happening and how do you begin to process that? And some people have found ways to kind of, to, to kind of filter it through their work. Um, the, the problem is we do live in a world now and a, a lot of comedy writers and sci-fi writers have, have said this, like how am I supposed to write comedy or science fiction right now when we live in a, 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 a comedy, a science fiction comedy that's not funny, right? right? It's, like, they, it's, it's miserable for everyone. I have some friends who work on Veep and they're like, we couldn't make Veep now because <laughs> right. the reality is more absurd than any show we could ever do. Right. Uh, so it's, it's, been, it's been rough on creative people and then obviously it's hard just to do business. Like a lot of projects got shut down. Hollywood's still trying to figure out how to even make things. There's not a lot of appetite out there right now to, to make or even develop things because everyone's just like, Ugh, right? Why bother? <laughs> like, right. Everyone's so depressed. And you know, we'll, you know, we'll we'll get back to it. I think you know, maybe by mid next year. Sounds like sounds like a long way up, but maybe by mid next year, if everything goes right, we'll be able to get back to some kind of normalcy. It just it won't be the it won't be the normal as before. Like so many things have, some things will go back to the way they were before. Other things will be forever changed. Like it'll be it will go back to normal, but it'll be like a different normal than the one we had because you cannot go through an experience as profoundly life-changing as the one that we've all collectively gone through over the last year and not and not not have it have some permanent impact going forward and the hope would be and again we're, we're talking a day before the election this will come out a week after the election and so the hope uh, the hope now is that the future is brighter that we can still hold on to that hope and if that hope seems like it might be sputtering or it might be going out like it's more important than ever to to press on and to to do even more and more important things and yeah like i said it's it's it's, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy like if you let the fact that there's not a lot of reason to be hopeful um lead you to not be hopeful then yeah that 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 just prophesizes itself right and and hope kind of dies out but it's you know it's the, it's it's the it's the cassians and the jinns of the right. world who will see us through this by recognizing that you know that's that's when they're most needed and they're you know that when when hope is down to just like a flickering you know candle flame that's about to go out someone has to keep it alight and and those and those are the heroes of the star wars movies i think yeah and that's i mean that's the 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 thing that brings me back to star wars over and over again more than special effects or more than you know cool dog fights it is that idea of hope that idea that one person like you're saying a blue collar worker <laughs> in in uh, a, a middle of nowhere can can rise up and and yeah and say and 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 save the galaxy right. and for me you know what going back to return of the jedi why it's I, I still again i'll get into this fight with anyone i know people don't like the ewoks whatever i'll fight you on that one too but that third act of of the of, of return of the jedi to me is still like the best the the, the best like 45 minutes of, of any of anything in star wars that and it's a masterpiece of storytelling and editing cutting back and forth between the base of the three battles that are taking place the battle in space the battle on the ground for the shield bunker uh and then of course the battle between you know vader and and uh, luke and the emperor right. and they all interconnect uh, they, they, you know, they, they, you know, the, the, the editing is to kind of bouncing you back and forth between them. You're recognizing they're all kind of happening in parallel in real time. 
and you know the, just this idea that of course the end at the at the end of um uh jedi these three movies that we've been on the journey uh together watching that that hope isn't futile but you can beat the bad guy not just on a big you know military level yeah they blow up the death star and finally defeat the empire for good um but also i think more importantly like on a personal level like for me the most you know the the the, the most touching um and most profound part of Jedi is the redemption of Anakin Skywalker. Right. Um, I remember when somebody first said to me, like, you know, Return of the Jedi, like the Jedi in the title is not about Luke. That's Anakin. Like, the, you know, the Anakin Skywalker, the Jedi returns right. at the end of it. Like he defeats the Sith that's, that's kind of consumed him and comes back and like, tell your sister you were right and all this kind of stuff. It's like the, the idea that redemption um, is possible, even for, even for someone who has been so thoroughly, thoroughly corrupted and lost in darkness is, you know, just it's very Hollywood, but it's very beautiful and poetic and cinematic. And we all want to believe that. We all right. want to believe that uh, we can be redeemed. And and I would argue that that um, that trilogy, that original trilogy, uh, I talked about this when I was doing Rogue One. I said, you know, what is what is what is the essential components of the Star Wars trilogy like on an emotional level? And for me, it's a story about the downfall of a once great man and his ultimate redemption through and and because of the love of his son, uh, like his son saves him. And that was some of the DNA that we tried to put into um, Rogue One, the idea that, you know, the, the, the daughter kind of inherits the sins of the father yeah. and now has to kind of put right the, the, the terrible thing that he was forced to do. Mm. So there's a little bit of that family, you know, kind of saga DNA, even in, even in Rogue One, which isn't really a saga film. Right. Um, but yeah, that, that, the, the, the whole redemption of Anakin for me is like, I, I remember I cried as, a, as a, that's why that movie had such a right. profound effect on me. You know, I cried at the end coming out of Return of the Jedi. Cause I just, I was even at like 11 years old, I was fully emotionally aware of like the, 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 the kind of the emotional power of what I had just, just watched. Yeah, definitely. And, and then to, to add on to that, I think the hologram scene between, um, Jin and her father in Rogue One is is right right behind it in terms of the emotional appeal of, of Star Wars and and what, like what you're saying the the relationships between fathers and sons fathers and daughters and that idea of hope kind of permeates everything and that's what makes Star Wars Star Wars yeah as I recall it was a little different in the earlier draft like they actually rescued him and but he was mortally wounded mm-hmm. and that it's, it's a similar scene that takes place but like he's actually like on his deathbed and Jin is like there holding wow. his hand but he's basically kind of saying the same thing like. I've done this terrible thing, but I think I, I think I found a way to undo it. Like there's a flaw if you can find it. And, you know, it's a, it's a, you know, it has the same, it's really interesting. The more I think about it, I think Rogue One over time is going to be better and better appreciated, not because of my contribution, because of all the people that came after me, like, you know, um, Chris and Gary, everyone who worked so hard in that film, like really turned it into something special. And it's interesting right. that it does kind of, I, I find new things in that film. Like, even as I'm talking to you right now, the idea that that Anakin, if you think about it, it's really a really interesting mirror that the Anakin Luke scene happens at the end of the story, right? It's like, you know, you're, I, I'm redeemed. You've done everything you need to do. Thank you for saving me. And that's the end, basically. Mm-hmm. In Rogue, it's a little bit different. It's more like the, you know, the father is dying, but he's saying like, this is just the beginning. You now have to go do this thing. Right. And my dying wish is that you correct this terrible wrong that I was forced to create. So it's, you know, it's, the, it's, it's the same energy, but a different energy. And I, I think that's always, a, always an interesting way to approach uh, Star Wars storytelling, like just enough of the familiar, like at the DNA level, you go, this feels like Star Wars to me. I get it. Like, you know, the parent dying and, mm-hmm. you know, the, the the child that wanted to save them. But like you, you remix it in a way that doesn't feel like you're just telling the same story all over again. And that's why I love any Gary Weta Star Wars. And I can't wait to see, <laughs> I can't wait to see what, what's next, whether it's Star Wars or otherwise. I loved Oliver and that's in uh, 
paperback right now that's collected at least part of it through yeah we've got the first volume is out right now we're working on the rest yeah so uh and then of course animal talking and uh everything else you're doing uh just obviously please keep it up and we'll, we'll talk very very soon yeah if you want to see more animal talking do go over to my youtube channel it's, it's just my name youtube.com slash gary witter g-a-r-y-w-h-i-t-t-a uh, all the Animal Talking episodes are archived over there, along with everything else that I, I do. And uh, yeah, stay tuned. I've got some some uh, more stuff coming out in January. I'll come back and talk about that then. But for right now, yeah, I'm, I'm just so excited about the, the Star Wars book. I, I don't know for sure that they're going to do Return of the Jedi from a certain point of view, but like it's going to be silly, I think, to do two and not the third right. one. So I'm hoping they'll come back to me. I'm already thinking at the back of my mind, like if they come back to me, like what, what would, would I want to do? Right. From, I don't know. Yeah, I got, I've got a few ideas. Yeah, but, you, you, know, should, I, you should I, say it out loud. You shouldn't I'll, jinx it. I'll, no, I'll, I, 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 I absolutely never would. I, mean, <laughs> I haven't even allowed myself to think about it that much because I don't want to. Right. Um, uh, just because I did the first two, they'll come back to me for the third. I hope they do. I'd love to do a Jedi point of view yeah. story. Uh, but I'm really pleased with the way the uh, the Empire one came out. What did you think of the whole book, by the way? I loved it. And um, I can't wait to revisit it again because with the first one, I, I read it and then I um, listened to it as well, which was like a whole new experience. And I just, I mean, me and like, obviously the show is a lot of background characters and a lot of kind of the, the behind the scenes stories of Star Wars. And so this is like right up my alley. Um, but even like the things that you were talking about, because I don't know how much you've read or been able to read of the other contributors, but like the whole Echo Base section of the book ties so thematically together perfectly. So like your story and then how it's all interacting with how everyone is feeling within that that base especially like is just seamless and and i think that more than anything speaks to the the strength of the editing but also like of everyone's points of view as, as they that they brought into the actual book so i loved it yeah and 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 to and to, and to go back to the very all of that is true but just additionally to that uh just to go back to the, the like the original strength of the storytelling is that george built a world that was so rich that um you know even someone like will Rowe hood who like 90 percent of people who've seen star wars probably couldn't even tell you who he is right, right? but like the real the, the real true believers know and he created something so rich and so compelling and so immersive that we want to know about the lives of, you know, like one of the, I think one of the stories, like a character that's not even on the screen, but like the guy that has to cook dinner for, right. for that dinner. Like, even though, like they're never going to eat the dinner, but he has to cook something. Right. So like, what, what does he even eat? Like just going in, there's so much fun to be had. And I think when we talked earlier about, you know, the different kind of tones of Star Wars, you know, it's often serious, but it's also often very funny. Uh, an anthology uh, series like this book is a great way to kind of hit all of those. Like some of the stories are like my Zev Sineska story is pretty serious. Right. Um, but there are others that are just pure comedy. And I think it's a, those, those short stories, those quick bites, uh, I think are a really great way to kind of, you know, in just one book, get a sense of just how um uh tonally broad the star wars universe can be you can do anything in that universe and i would love like even like you saying it but i've had the thought now that they have the volume now that they've kind of experimented with how successful star wars television could be i would love to see something like they're doing with marvel with the what if animated show but an anthology show of star wars varying in tones varying in you know the types of people that are in it and kind of let a bunch of different filmmakers like with the mandalorian directors like all tell their own kind of unique part of the star wars world i'd love to see that even then further implemented in maybe the live action version of it also yeah it's it's amazing to me that uh you know 40 plus years uh since star wars uh came out we're still just scratching the surface in terms of it's not like oh you know we've been doing this for 40 years we're kind of running out of things to talk about right. like we're still you know, there's still infinite possibilities of things to do right uh, and again, that, that that speaks to just how incredible the original idea was to begin with. Yeah. And how time, I mean, obviously with Campbell and with the monomyth and with, with how George approached it, I think that, that speaks to the timelessness of it. And I think 
future generations, whether they grew up with the prequels or they grew up with the sequels or whatever it is, like I think are always going to find something new. So that when in 2056, they write the, from a certain point of view of Rogue One, like there is something new to be mined um, from that movie and from the, from Star Wars. Yeah, I've actually had a real evolution on that. I used to be, I I personally still am. Like I personally don't like the prequels very much. You know, of course, many, many people don't. I think there's things to like in them, but as, as films for me, they don't, they're not my cup of tea, basically. And I used to be quite vocal about that. But, I, but you know, I, I realized that, you know, I'm 48 years old now. Like, Star Wars technically isn't really for me anymore. Like, right. it's for everyone. But, you know, it's always, hey, George said it, it's for kids. This is this is fairy tale for kids. Right. Um, and you have to remember that, you know, by the time the, the prequels came along, I was like, eh, this isn't really for me. But there was a whole generation of children that who were the same age that I was when the original trilogy came out, right. who for them... They love those movies. They love those characters. You know, they loved you know young uh, young Obi Wan and and uh, and young Anakin and Padme and all these characters. And now there's a whole other generation growing up, for whom Star Wars is defined by you know Ray and and Finn and Kylo Ren and those characters. Yeah. Uh, so it's really really a generational thing. You know, we're members of the OG generation, right, where it all started. And the, the original trilogy movies. That's why I was so um, uh, pleased to uh, get a chance to work on Rogue One because it's set right in right. the window that for me, most special. I would have been thrilled to work on, you know, one of the, one of the new saga films, but like, but it wouldn't have been the same for me in terms of, oh yeah, this is the era that I grew up on. Right. I was able to, you know, to, to go back and I, I told this story a million times, but like when I first walked onto that Yavin base, I, you know, where they built that, um, you know, place called Cardington Sheds uh, in England, I almost cried because it was like walking through a time machine and, and being back in 1975 because they pulled all the original blueprints and it was like, I feel, I feel like I'm like in some kind of holodeck recreation of, right. of like, you know, them shooting the original film. It was absolutely incredible. And uh, the opportunity to kind of go back and kind of revisit that specific period in my childhood and in Star Wars history is just, just magic. Yeah. I, I don't know what else to say beyond like, yes, crying on the Millennium Falcon at Disney World. You know, like it is just kind of a, a part of you that I don't think it will ever will ever leave. And I think your experiences with Rogue One and, and bringing especially the original trilogy kind of to a new generation, right? That generation growing up with with Rey now will also grow up with Jin and have that association with the original trilogy in a way that they might not have otherwise. And I think that is something special in itself. So, yeah. And it'll, and, and it'll be around forever. You know, I know obviously they've kind of slowed the movie making down a little bit right. as they kind of re-strategize on, on how they want to move forward, but you know, everything else is moving, moving forward. And again, I, I think star Wars will be around in, in another 40 years. I'll be honestly be shocked if it, if it wasn't, if it's not, then someone, someone has up. dropped yeah. <laughs> because they, 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 there's no re again, you're never going to get to a point where you can say, yeah, we've just run out of Star Wars stories to tell. I find that's inconceivable. Right. Yeah. You just have to find out like what, how to tell it for the current generation. And I think when you strip down Star Wars to its bare bones, that story, that message, that need for hope will be the case for hundreds and hundreds of years. So yeah, because his, history is cyclical, right? And the same message about fighting tyranny that George was interested in talking about in the late seventies. Right. Like you said before, guess what? We're right back there. So this stuff yeah. will always be timely. Yeah, you can do you can do control replace on George's like comments about Nixon, and you'd be like, oh, did right. he just say that like a week ago to some variety? Yeah, reporter, it's you know? it's it's uncanny how history yeah. uh, repeats itself if we don't pay attention to it. Well, uh, we'll all be paying attention uh, very soon, uh, even more so. Uh, but Mr. Witta, thank you for coming on. Thank you for being a bright spot in my week, which has been mostly anxiety. So appreciate you reaching out and uh, and coming back to Talking Bay. It's, 
it's such a treat and such an honor to talk to you. No, I, I was I was happy to do it. Like this this has been an hour off for me stressing out as well and kind of pacing <laughs> up and down. It's always fun to talk about Star Wars with someone else who uh, you know is a big fan and appreciates it and gets every nerdy reference. So this has been fun for me too. Thank you. Of course. All right. We'll talk soon. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye. Thank you again to Mr. Witta for coming back on the show. What a delight and a treat, and can't wait to talk to him again in January. Check out the link in the show notes to go directly to his YouTube and Twitch accounts so you can check out Animal Talking and everything else he's doing for yourself. We'll be back on Scener.com doing a live rewatch of The Mandalorian Friday at 7.30 p.m. Central with a couple of special guests from Sky Talkers and Blast Points. So head to Scener.com slash TalkingBay94 to set a reminder, and I'll see you there. We have another special from a certain point of view episode hitting on Saturday. Until this weekend, stay tuned, leave a five-star review, and may the Force be with you.